that, leading us in that, in that way. Um, uh, my name is Drew Smith. I lead pastor here. Welcome to those with us physically, those that are um, on online. Um, we've been walking through the, the book of Acts, and today we come to Acts chapter 15. And it's one of those where um, God causes disruption. God causes change. I mean, reckless love is this love that we experience and that the church experienced um, in this uh, this particular day, and it it's one where you know when God causes disruption and change, you know, it just tend we tend to respond to change uh, by um, drawing back. You know, we we don't usually uh, respond to change uh, with open arms. Um, I've experienced that uh, more recently in our household. Now that Kathy and I are empty nesters. And the, the kids, you know, move out and do their own thing, and they, they, but they come home periodically. Well, while they're gone, we make changes to, to things. So, sometimes in the rooms that they've slept most of their nights, you know, in their lives, and we change things, and that causes a little pushback. Um, but the, the biggest thing is when we move the Christmas tree. Uh, one year, that uh, definitely caused a little minor rebellion, uh, but we survived and made it through, and we still centered our hearts and minds on the beauty and love of Jesus and uh, the, the the mystery of the incarnation. Well, what we'll see here is is this unique situation in the history of the church where where God causes this disruption that really comes to a head in in this particular passage and how then the the church is to respond to that change, to that disruption, how um, followers of Jesus with great disagreement are united because of the power of of Jesus. And we'll hear um, a little bit about that passage and then hear a little more about how uh, that um, has uh, impact uh, even even today. Uh, so uh, Acts chapter 15, um, if you can follow along on the screen or in whatever form you're, you have of the Bible. Let's pray. Uh, Almighty God, thank you for your written word as it speaks to us of your truth. And now we pray you'll give us ears to, to hear what you would have to, to say through this this time and uh, apply in, in our lives so that we might honor and glorify you in, in all that we do. And that as your people, uh, we would be greater representatives of the, the character of Christ in our um, fellowship with one another and in our interaction with one another, especially in times of conflict, in times of confusion or disagreement. So teach and lead us and guide us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, rather lengthy passage, but and it's a long uh, story of uh, folks that are in Antioch, which is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. We're going to start there. And that's the place where the church is first meeting with Gentiles, which are folks that are not Jewish. And, and they're very different than Jewish folks and have a very different background. So they're, they're coming together. And what you'll, you'll hear in, in Antioch is that some of the, the Christians that have a Jewish background are starting to complain to say, hey, these folks that don't have Jewish background, they have to become Jewish. They've got to, they've got to do what God told us to do in terms of circumcision and these food laws and these sacrificial laws, those kind of things. And they're saying, no, um, they're saying they've got to go do that, and that's the, the argument 
that you'll hear them uh, have that they then have to come to a conclusion. Well, which is it and how do we move forward? What is God doing in this moment and how do we move forward uh, together? So that's a little bit of the, the, the story. But some men came down from Judea and Jerusalem and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us, and He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? We, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. 
Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they'd spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in the beginning, what what we see here in this beginning of this passage is that God's plan of salvation will always cause disruption. I mean, God is always leading us to change. He is, as we pray to our prayer of confession, God is always calling us to transformation. He's leading us more and more into the likeness and character of Jesus. So he's, there's always going to be this kind of disruption in our lives. Jesus said the same, that when he enters in, he, he can cause division as much as unity about him. So there, there will be conflict that we face even if we're following Jesus together. Because that's what we see here. We see the, the Jews and the Gentiles, these two different groups of people who are now following Jesus together. You'll notice through the passage, everybody that's mentioned is a believer. Regardless of what position they had, of whether or not folks had to be circumcised or not. And, and that's what the, the argument is. What, what, what they're saying is that they're folks that are Jewish, and they, they've been Jewish uh, for a long time, their, their whole lives. And so were their dads and moms and their grandparents and their great-great-grandparents and on and on. They got a long story of a way that they were following God, that God had told them, this is how you're set apart as my people. People will see you and they'll know you're different and know you're different because you're following the one God. And that was weird enough in their day that there was just one God, Yahweh, not a bunch of them, not Zeus and Hermes and Venus and all the rest. There was just one and they were following after them. And it, throughout the Old Testament, there's things that they were to do to set themselves apart, clothes they were to wear, feast days that they were to, to maintain, times to fast, the practicing of Sabbath, the whole sacrificial system that was before them. And then their, their, their sexual ethics, their business ethics. There were laws that, that came from God to say, this is who you are to be my people. So for a really long time, that was their habit. And now, Jesus dies, He's raised from the dead, the Spirit comes in, and now there's a new way to be God's people. Now, this, and as James, uh, men- or uh, Peter, uh, or you know, James, James mentions here, reading from Amos, that, that, but this is what God has said all along. 
God had promised to us, uh, he promised in Adam, he promised to Noah, to, 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 Moses, to Abraham, to Moses, to David. He's been making this promise all along that one is going to come who will be the Lord and Savior of the world so that anyone and everyone to the ends of the earth, anyone at any time, anywhere, will be able to come and know me instantaneously, be in right relationship with me. And that's who Jesus was. It's what, it's why James is quoting Amos. Hey, this is what we've known. This is what is what he's going to do. And it causes this kind of disruption. It's this Jesus who comes, who fulfills. He's the ultimate sacrifice. So he fulfills all the sacrificial system. He, he fulfills the law totally. So now, to be set apart, it means now Jew and Gentile and, and, uh, can come together and be united through their trust in Jesus, and that now sets them apart. They're set apart by their repentance, and they're saying our lives are committed no longer to following this way of being God's people, but to following this one who is God, God among us, God with us. So now we follow him together, and that makes us one. So think about this collision, though. I mean, for us, we're like, huh? well, some of us at least, um, are saying, huh, glad circumcision didn't make the list. Yeah, and a, bunch, a whole bunch of Gentiles were also. And, but all of that that was there. But th- this, this is what they had done their whole lives. And this is what their grandparents had done. This is tied to Moses. And now you're saying we no longer do it? And, and it wasn't just the rituals. It was also a way of life. I mean, there was a sexual ethic among the, the Jews that was totally different than the Gentile ethic. I mean, they had wrapped into their religious practices multiple forms of sexuality. So it was re- religious for them to, to be uh, sexual libertines. Whereas for the Jews, there was God's design for sexuality within the confines of marriage. So it was hugely different. Their, their understanding of, of business ethics and their values, their culture, their, their songs, the foods they, eat, they ate were totally different. And now you're bringing them together as one. And, and it's not like it's just been a lifetime or two. This has been for centuries that this has been developed. And now you're saying that Jesus trumps all of that. Jesus is the one who is the essence of your life, the center of your identity. What, what your, your daddy and granddaddy and great-great-granddaddy did, that doesn't matter unless it's in alignment with what Jesus is calling you to do. What, what may be the Smith way doesn't matter if it's not Jesus' way. What may be the American way doesn't matter unless it's Jesus' way. Yeah, so whatever we form our identity from in our human form, those are, can be good things. Yeah, from the, the color of our skin to our preferences of our music, that's all part of God's beautiful creation. The, the, our national origins, the, the traditions and heritages of our, our, our families, our different tribes, those are all can be wonderful and beautiful things. They can also be really messed up. But they are secondary when it comes to following Jesus. And that's what's happening here. 
this huge distinctions and differences are now coming together in Jesus. I mean, it'd be like if I showed up this morning and said, hey, we had a leadership retreat yesterday and what we decided to do, well, the Lord has come to us. We're no longer going to meet on Sunday. We're going to meet on Monday morning. And, and I don't know how, you're going to have to work that out with school. You're going to have to work that out with work. You have to go tell them because God has told us this is when we're going to meet. And you you got to figure that out. We're not doing baptism anymore. We're not doing communion anymore. We're going to have uh, these uh, meals where we get together and eat outside in picnic form and we sing together. That's what God's calling us to do. Back, back to nature call. That's what is happening here. And yeah, you sort of fun and sort of laugh at, at that. But if that really happened, there would be a whole lot of pushback. So you can sort of relate to the why the Jews are, are saying, no, wait a minute. These folks got to get circumcised. They, they've got to, it's not just, a, if I, it's not like fraternity hazing. If I had to do it, they got to do it. It's like, no, this is how we are God's people. But God is changing that. Saying, this now is how, I've told you from the beginning, but this is how it is so that every, anybody Anywhere, at any time, can be made right with God instantly through Jesus. That's the power of His death and His resurrection. So that's, um, he, God has made us one there. And so now they got to work through this, this, this turning point of salvation history. How do they work through this conflict? And that's the good news that we know ultimately that God's plan of salvation will bring complete peace. So the work that we do to be one in Jesus, we know is fulfilled. I mean, the book of Revelation tells us, chapter 7 and chapter 9, there will be when Jesus returns in the new heaven and new earth, people of every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered at the throne of Jesus as one before Him. All other human identity markers are secondary, because, but they're noticed, they're there. It's not like they're forgotten, they're meaningless. They're there, and that's the beauty of God's creation and the power of the cross, that that was one day what heaven will be. So you see, as we're working towards that, we're doing the one thing, one thing that I know will succeed. There may be a whole bunch of other things we're working on, and they're just not going to succeed. They're going to fail. They're not part of God's plan. But that I know. We're doing in that way. We know that's eternal. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we live for. And so what, what happens in the midst of this is then as uh, Barnabas and uh, Peter shares his story, Barnabas and Paul share their story, and there's a lot of debate. Now, you know, uh, Luke is really, really nice here. Oh, there was, was not just a little debate. In other words, they were arguing and yelling and screaming. Go back and read Galatians 2, the beginning of Paul. He doesn't have nice words to say about the people that said they should be... Um, he didn't call them, well, brother, let's sit down for a minute. He, he had some rather pointed things to say to, to them. So it was, a hu- it was a serious disagreement that would have taken hours to, for them to yell and scream at one another. And finally, as Peter talks, Paul and Barnabas talk, and then James, the brother of Jesus, sort of the elder statesman, 
in a moment. Then he stands and says, all right, this is what we've decided. Here, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to say, we're not going to make the Gentiles do all of this because we know that's not what's necessary. What we've seen, we've seen that they, the Spirit is upon them. So they're one with God and they're not circumcised. They, they haven't filled any of the rituals. They're not wearing the right clothes. They're eating the wrong foods. They, they've got the wrong understanding of a whole bunch of things, but they have been made right with God because the Holy Spirit is in them and it's obvious. Uh, what's what Peter um, said, uh, just great words from Peter in verse 8 and 9. He says, And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And he made no distinctions between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So he had Orthodox Jew dressed up as you would imagine, you know, with the hair and the dreidel, the hat, all, and the black suit right there. And then he had some beach dude who's uh, been praying to Zeus um, in flip-flops and uh, tank top right next to him, you know, tatted up, uh, up and down. And he's saying, hey... God made no distinction between these two. And so, why can we? If God doesn't, then we can. All right, so, anyway, so James comes in and says, this is what, we're not going to make them do that, but we're also going to say, but you need to, to live by these guidelines. Now, these didn't come out of the blue. There's actually, in Leviticus 17 and 18, there's some guidelines for how uh, Israel is to uh, behave with Gentiles and, and how they're to behave with one another. Um, there's also, in other Jewish writings, the, the, the laws of Noah, the laws that were sort of before the Mosaic law. And they, they would co- collect those. You see, these laws are for everybody. And so these, what what happens here, what what James says here comes out of those. They're not one-to-one correspondence, but they flow from that to say, but let's understand and respect one another. And so, you know, don't eat things, don't be participating in sacrificing to, to idols. You've done that, you've been doing it, don't do that anymore because that is just an affront to those that are Jews and it's an affront to God. Don't, don't be... Um, Eating uh, and uh, meat with with blood in it still, because that that's something these these folks have never done, and it's an affront to them. Don't don't do that, you know. And and their sexual ethics was so different that that he's saying, and you know, and you need you need to to not be f- demonstrating this kind of sexual um, uh, uh, religious participation as you have in the past. That needs to stop. Yeah, and and because part of it is those kind, some of those things. If you've learned those habits, those have been your habits. They don't necessarily always change instantaneously. In the humanity, it's going to take some while, a while for them to come together. Maybe even generations. So it may be uncomfortable for the rest of their lives. But Jesus is the center, even in our discomfort. And I imagine there will be folks, Jews. And there'll be Gentiles who aren't satisfied with this. And they'll be ticked off at this for the rest of their lives. They're like, no, wait a minute. The Yom Kippur is the best festival ever. Some of my favorite memories. Make, they, everybody's got to be participating in Yom Kippur. It's a great holiday. And the clothes, that these are the clothes that I've loved and I've grown up in. What do you mean they don't have to wear them? No, they have to wear these clothes as well. And then the Gentiles are like, what? What are you saying? I can't eat meat with blood in it? i got to get everything well done? 
You know, that, that's a ruin. How to, that's how to ruin a good steak. And what do you mean? I can't go to the Temple of Zeus Cafe. They have the best pork chops. No, you can't. Because Jesus is the center of our lives. Not our preferences. Not our traditions. And the unity that we have is a sign that we belong to Him. That's why all these things fall to the side. Now ask John Schindeldecker. John and Laura are in town and they've uh, served um, uh, the the Lord for decades uh, overseas in, in places where they help Christians who are on in disagreement to, to come together so that, they're, so that the gospel they're sharing with their mouth is also the gospel they're sharing with their lives. And just said, hey, can you just come and just share a little bit from your, your experience, you know, how you've, you've experienced the impact of Christians being united, Christians working through their differences, just like we saw here. You know, they built trust. They listened to one another. They, they submitted to one another. They, they cared for one another. Can you just share some of that, uh, uh, what that looks like as you've been doing this? Y'all been doing this for decades and all over the world. So, um, John, will you come share that with us? Thanks, Drew. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, uh, Laura and I were um, students at UC when we met uh, back in the 19, wait for it, 70s. <laughs> and we became members here at CHPC, and we were married here at CHPC, and you're sitting in our reception dining room. <laughs> we didn't have air conditioning back then, and it was really hard to go through that day. Well, after, after we graduated, uh, the church commissioned us to become international ambassadors for Jesus, and we've been serving overseas uh, for 38 years. Now, it can be really hard for us today to relate to the specific solution that the Apostle James gave to um, the folks at the conflict in Acts 15, right, about the meat and the strangling and blood and all that. Um, But I see a connection for us in this story in the principle behind those prohibitions about food and sex. In verse 21, you'll remember James says, Abstain from these things because as long as anyone can remember, the writings of Moses have been read every week in Jewish synagogues. Now you may be saying, John, um, sorry, I actually don't get the connection with us today. But I, I... want to say this, that I think James is saying to these new believers, as Drew has just so clearly explained to us, you are a new kind of community. You are now ambassadors for Jesus. And people are watching your lives, even as closely as in your dining room and your bedroom. Be careful about your witness. Don't make people unnecessarily stumble and have reason to reject Jesus because of your behavior. Now, you see, the combined Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus were living like fish in a glass bowl. You can picture that, right? Little goldfish. And you're... <laughs> Their every move was inspected 
by both the unbelieving Jews and the unbelieving Gentiles. So they get it from both sides. And they were aware that they were witnesses for Jesus, and they knew that both Jews and Gentiles were suspicious of them. And these unbelieving Jews and Gentiles were watching for ways to accuse these new believers in Jesus of being evil and even a threat to society. Now, the Apostle Peter also knew this fishbowl concept. That's why he instructed the new church and therefore us to keep their conduct among unbelievers honorable so that when the unbelievers speak against them and us as evildoers, they will see the believers' good deeds and glorify God. And Peter encouraged them and us with these words, If anyone asks you to explain the hope that you have in Christ, respond with gentleness and respect and with a good conscience so that if anyone slanders you, whoever criticizes you will be put to shame. In effect, Peter tells them and us to live our lives in the fishbowl as witnesses worthy of the name of Christ. Now, Laura and I know what it means to feel like living in a fishbowl. During the 26 years we lived in a Muslim country, we were strange to the local people. Of course, we were strange because we were foreigners. But even more significantly, we were strange because we were among a very tiny minority of people who tried to live Christ-honoring, evangelical, Jesus-followers' lives. We felt like goldfish in a bowl because our neighbors, our friends, and my work colleagues were watching our every move inside and outside our home. What religious holidays and observances do we have? What food do we eat or not eat? How do we treat each other as husband and wife? How do we raise our kids? Who do we invite into our home? How do we interact? with people of other faiths? How do we react when someone crashes into our car in the middle of the night and the whole neighborhood streams out of their four- and five-story apartment buildings and come out to watch? That happened twice, by the way. (laughs) And crucially, how do we get along with other Jesus followers? In many of these cases, we were the only Jesus followers our neighbors and our friends had ever met and would likely meet. And so our our example was crucial to our credibility as witnesses for Jesus. Now, like the early church, and like we were in the Middle East, our churches here today in this city live in a fishbowl, whether we realize that or not. We are being watched, inspected, and judged by the world. But sadly, few on the outside glorify God because of what they see in us. And they cannot tell that we are Jesus' disciples by the love we have for one another, as Jesus said they would in John 13, 35. Well, how do I know this? Well, I just read the news and the headlines about the seemingly unceasing flow of scandals, schisms, splits, strife, and slander coming to light in evangelical churches. And I read statistics revealing how many young people have become ex-evangelicals because of the hypocrisy inside the churches they grew up in. 
Now, on the personal level, when we tell people that our main ministry is helping Christians to biblically resolve their conflicts, uh, often a person who hears that will kind of lean in and lower their voice and start telling us about a personal conflict they have with another believer or about conflicts in the church that they used to go to or both. Now, I know of a church where for a year and a half, two of its leaders would not speak to or even acknowledge each other in public. They were not only leaders in the church, but they were both in the worship band of the church. It's not these folks that were up here, by the way. (laughs) They both composed worship songs from Bible verses, but they wouldn't even say hello to each other. They both forgot that Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says that don't come to church until you have reconciled with someone who has something against you. And they both forgot that Mark eleven twenty five says, actually, when you do come to church and you pray, forgive anyone who has offended you. They didn't write worship songs about those verses. <laughs> These two men were not aware, or worse, didn't care, that they were being watched from people both outside and inside the church. And they were either unaware or didn't care that church members and seekers were actually leaving that church because they would not resolve their one-to-one conflict. And they live, by the way, where there are so few believers that that church is literally the only fishbowl in town. Now, I'm not saying that we need to hide our conflicts from the world or pretend that we don't have them. That would be unbelievable. We just need to live in a different kind of unbelievable way. Let's gladly let the world see us humbly admit our fault and confess our sins to one another and forgive each other as Christ forgave us so that the world says, wow, that church is unbelievable. So what do we need to do to make the world glorify God because of what they see in us? First, we need to humbly admit how bad we actually look from outside the fishbowl. Now, I'm going to read some selected relational sins that the Apostle Paul calls the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. I'm going to ask you to do something. As I read them, pretend that you are looking at a fishbowl from outside, and inside that fishbowl is you and your church. Now, as I read these, I want you to listen and see if any of these sins are inside that fishbowl of yourself and your church that you're looking at. The first one is enmity. Now, I had to look this one up in the dictionary. It means having hostility towards someone. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. Envy. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But if you see any of these in yourself or in your church and you think that "Ah, these aren't very serious sins, we're all people, we all make mistakes, Uh, consider this. Paul says that those who do these things, and I quote, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, whatever they will not inherit the kingdom of God means, 
you can bet that that's serious. Now, we're going to repeat this exercise. This time I'm going to ask to read the relational fruit of the Spirit, which we read earlier, which Paul lists right after the deeds of the flesh. He's contrasting them. And see if you have any of these fruit in your life and in the life of your church in the fishbowl that you're going to look at. Here we go. Selfless agape love toward others. Joy with others. Peace with others. Patience with others. Kindness toward others. Goodness toward others. Faithfulness toward others. Gentleness toward others. And self-control in your behavior toward others. Now, if you see any of these in your fishbowl, praise the Lord. And that's, that's great to hear. And I'm so encouraged because uh, a person who was in the first service came to me in between services and said, you know, when I looked at our fishbowl of the church, what I experienced is the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I've seen here at CHBC. Well done. Bravo. And I have more good news of hope. There is help for resolving the relational sins of the deeds of the flesh and for increasing the fruit of the Spirit in your personal life. And the church. Now, um, this is not a sponsored ad, but I do want to give you hope by pointing out that we actually have biblical peacemaking resources and training on our website, peacepursuit.org. That's peacepursuit.org. The Lord has graciously used Peace Pursuit to help resolve conflicts in fishbowls all around the world, including here in Cincinnati. And by the way, between those two worship team members and church leaders who wouldn't greet each other in public. To God be the glory. We're here today because the early church not only survived their life in the fishbowl, but they thrived. And they attracted unbelievers by confessing their sins to each other, forgiving each other, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, and working out their practical differences with love and respect. May we do the same so that the watching world will indeed know that we are disciples of the Prince of Peace by the love we have for one another. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do um, give you thanks for Jesus, who is the one who has made peace even possible and who has made us at peace uh, with you and with one another through his life death and resurrection and we look forward to his return uh, we we lift up uh, one another we lift up this particular congregation or we desire to demonstrate the, the character of christ to emulate this this peace that we have with you and with each other in the midst of what confusing con- conflicts and disruptions and, and challenges, disappointments. Uh, so we, we ask that the same Spirit who is filling the, the church then will fill us now to continue to work towards uh, the, the reconciliation that we have in you to live into more and more into the fullness of who you have called us and created us to be. Uh, we we want to be a 
sign to the world of, of your goodness. And we long to demonstrate your glory and, and to serve out to, for your pleasure uh, so that we and those around us uh, will experience you and experience the, the flourishing that you bring. Lord, we take this time and, and lift up before you those in, in need of your particular touch, your, your healing hand. We continue to pray for Ann Rainey, and she recovers from stroke and a brain bleed in the, in the hospital. We pray your continued healing hand upon her. We lift up Alan and the kids as well. Pray your peace be upon each of them. Uh, for others in our, our midst in need of your healing hand, Lord, you hear hear the cries of our heart. We continue to pray for Myron and his battle with, with cancer and for others in our midst who are different stages of uh, that healing process towards cancer. We, we pray that they would know your peace, know your presence with them. Uh, we are thankful that uh, Mary Sue and Christy, who are in, in Kenya, they continue uh, their, their connection with ministries there. Thank you for your provision and protection and uh, look, look forward to their, their return and the ways that you are leading us to continue to partner with our brothers and sisters there. And, uh, and Lord, we lift up John and Laura to you. We thank you for the ministry of the Schindeldeckers that we've been able to participate. And we, we pray your continued anointing and blessing on the ministry of peace pursuit um, in uh, our lives and in places all around the world. Continue to to provide and bless and multiply the work of that ministry. We lift all these things to you in the powerful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. As we sing this last song, I invite the folks that are leading in prayer to go ahead and come up front. And so even as we're singing this song, if you have an item of, of prayer you'd want the folks that are praying with you to pray for, that you can come forward during the song. They'll be up there during the song and even through the, uh, through the benediction at the conclusion of the service. But uh, whatever the need might be, something that the Lord has brought to your mind here or, or something that you um, have experienced, you brought with you here that you want to lift up to the Lord. They're glad to pray with you and for you. What you say there stays there. It's just between them and the ears of, of God. So let's uh, continue to worship the Lord together.